Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lunch Pail Podcast alongside Mike Nizelik, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. This is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. I said it right, right? You did. Okay. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. We're back. Uh, first pod since the Belk Bowl. We're going to break down the Belk Bowl a little bit, and we're going to talk about the um, the memories of 2019 Virginia Tech football. Uh, Virginia Tech has a new line coach. We'll talk about the offseason and sort of what we're looking for in that. Uh, there's a spring game date we can get to as well at the end. And uh, pick three. And uh, we'll, we'll get out of here with a prediction on the LSU-Clemson national title game, see how we can do with that. Mike, um, 37-30 was the final. Kentucky gets the win. I don't remember much about that game anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I thought it had a lot of juice in terms of uh, you know all the bickering and the, the fighting before the game and the punch in the face and all that stuff. Um, what were your just general thoughts on the, on the performance for Virginia yeah, we didn't get to ch- you know it's a bummer we didn't get the chance to talk to Deshaun Crawford who got who was the punchy and the the uh, Lynn Bowden, um, you know he mentioned some of the lead up. Um, there's a, a kind of a verbal altercation at a pregame events at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, and which seemingly Virginia Tech was maybe the a little bit of an aggressor, just kind of talking some trash. Um, some Instagram videos were posted, and then um, before the game, the teams briefly met on the field and that was kind of a disaster they had to be separated twice and Deshaun Crawford ends up getting punched in the face by Lynn Bowden and and I want to know was, was Crawford just like kind of standing there just like and he got punched because it didn't look like he was talking at the time it would have been curious to see like did, was he upset that he was the guy that got punched or was like he ready to throw down like I wanted more analysis of the fight um, but we didn't get we didn't get him after the game so that was kind of a bummer. And people are going to say, okay, boomer to this. I know that because that's what my daughter says to me all the time now. But a couple things. One, I mean, very stupid what the Hokies did down at the Speedway. I mean, just really, really stupid. Um, number two, how does a guy who punches somebody in the face the same day uh, of the bowl end up being the bowl MVP? Gets the, yeah, so that's the other part <laughs> of it. He, uh, he makes the game-winning throw. Obviously, uh, 300 plus total yards. I think 200 something rushing yards. Um, receiver turned quarterback. Uh, very dynamic athlete, certainly. Yeah. Um, and and laid it on the line on the the media day beforehand. Said Virginia Tech had ruined his trip and didn't want to mention their name. Um, so made him pay. But so that was one of the kind of questions. You know, we'll we'll talk about the game itself in a minute. But the the refs and Fuente kind of said this matter of factly and I don't know if he was upset or not but he's like they don't have jurisdiction of the field till 60 minutes until game time which means they they weren't on the field when the scuffle happened um and so they couldn't throw a flag so it was the the the, the they had to be separated about 90 minutes I took a video it was time stamped 1034 and the punch happened like two minutes before that um, it was a rule that's like first the first rule of the referee section in the rule book, and I didn't know that. Did you know that? No. So essentially, it's like the purge. You know, I, Leon and Joliet told us about the purge, where you have <laughs> this film, li- this time where film. you could just yeah, not, you could just do sick, whatever yeah. you want for whatever. I guess until that one hour window starts, anything goes. Just just you know, punch whoever you want, uh, scuffle it up. Uh, you know, refs don't have any jurisdiction. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange rule that you think like so. 
you know, and there's a difference. Like, if you didn't see something, well, what are we gonna do? But this was video. This ESPN had had footage of the punch, and you could clearly identify Bowden. Uh, he had no shirt on and a giant chain, so it wasn't like he was. <laughs> it was it was questionable who threw the punch, but a very strange rule, and I think fans were a little upset, just kind of about, you know, how do you how how is that fair when you have a guy punching your uh, a player? And you know, there was obviously a lot of trash talk and pushing and shoving. Um, but yeah, um, and Wit was shown. There was a short clip of Wit Babcock talking to an official and one of the Kentucky, and he didn't seem pleased. So maybe next time we he's available, it'll be a question asked. Like, is that a rule change that can be made easily for in the future? Or something where you're like, why? If you're the refs are there in the back in the locker room, why wouldn't they have jurisdiction? Yeah. Anytime the players are on the field. It's bizarre. I guess they just don't want them to have that responsibility. You know, it's like, look, you you ads and everything else, you take care of it. But I have to go back. I mean, you know, look, uh, two wrongs don't make a right, all that stuff. But the whole incident at the at – the, not only did you do it, you know, not only did you charge these guys and talk trash to them and, you know, it, but you posted it on, on social media. It, it ended up disappearing, obviously. I'm sure the coaches said, get that off, scrub that now. But, you know, it's saved for posterity. You can watch it. It's, it's very unflattering for the Hokies, and it just looks really stupid. And, and well, so they, they lose a lot of their moral high ground right. in, the, in the punching right. incident because of that other incident. And, it, and, it, and it's made worse by the fact that he then made, was the Belk Bowl MVP and you couldn't stop him. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like if you're going to and, 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 you know, if you're going to talk trash uh, and you're going to kind of incite some of that stuff, um, the, the key part of it all is to back it up. Right. I right. Because that's I mean, that's all you got to do. And they did not do that. No, they didn't. And part of that is, you know. What I wrote about was Bud Foster and Bud Foster's ending, an unideal ending, if that's a word, uh, a, a bitter end for Bud. It was, you know, sort of the old uh, trope that he can't stop running quarterbacks. You figured, I figured at least, with three or four weeks to prepare for this, um, he would have this, the scheme ready. You know, these guys would be uh, in the right positions to stop this guy. I mean, he was – when I watched him on film before the game, I just watched some highlights of him. It looked like what he would do is he would just stand there, take the ball, accept the ball in the shotgun, and then just sort of pause and wait for something to develop and then just run. I just figured that's not going to work against Bud. You know, they, they'll be watching this all. They'll know exactly what he's going to do, and they couldn't stop him, man. He was slippery to his credit. Uh, Bowden was very slippery. Uh, how much did he finish with total offense-wise? Well, it, it was – I mean, you know, he ran for a zillion yards, set a bowl record – for any bowl for rushing yards by a quarterback, which I think surprised some of us who, you know, know Navy gets to bowls and Army gets to bowls and Georgia Tech gets to bowls and has gotten to bowls under Ball Johnson in the past. So you would think there would be a quarterback somewhere along the line that it ran for, you know, 350 or something like that. But uh, Bowden's your new champion over overtaking. Um, he had 73 passing yards through a touchdown, and that was that last second play. And then he ran for 233 yards on 34 carries and added two touchdowns, had the long 61-yard uh, Yeah, run. eclipses Johnny Manziel. And also was a Belk Bowl uh, against Duke uh, for that for that uh, honor. And Kentucky had 350 yards total rushing, so um, yeah. not great. Let's talk about the last play. And we'll get a little bit more, more bud here in a second. But the last play – well, the last play of, of consequence, the, the touchdown pass, what was that? I mean, how did they get beat on that? 
Uh, post, I mean, you know, and then that goes to, uh, you know, Virginia Tech had both the starting corners out. Jermaine Waller with the foot injury, Caleb Farley with the back injury, and he sounds like um, he posted on Twitter afterwards that he's going to have off-season surgery. Um, he missed the regular season finale against Virginia, and Tech really missed him. Um, you know, and one of the things that Bud talked about after the game was that they, they made him throw 12 times. They wanted to make him mo throw more, but they thought anytime he threw it, they'd have an advantage. But with their starting defensive backs out, um, they made some mistakes that they wouldn't normally make. I think that coverage um, was one of them. Uh, they had a penalty, pass interference that extended a drive. Um, and and uh, in the run game on the edge, I think they were really hurt. Kind of the more physical guys were out. You know, Caleb and, and Jermaine are, are much more physical corners. Breon's a little small. Murray, who played as well. Um, and so that wasn't as much of an advantage. Uh, I mean, he completed six passes uh, for 73 yards. Those are modest, but, you know, a couple of those were big plays and obviously the last one too. Um, so, you know, if Farley's in there, I, I think that maybe goes a little different. Yeah. Because it was one-on-one -on -one coverage, you know, and that's what it was. Yeah, it was, It was. you know, the guy can't pass and he beats you in the pass. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. And, um, you know, because we saw some of those throws earlier in the game. They sucked. I mean, he's, he's not a good passer. Um, not a lot and of he's touch. not a quarterback. I no, mean, he's look, not. He, yeah. look, for what he is, he's, he's amazing. I mean, could be going from being a receiver to, to being a quarterback and doing what he did in the second half of the season is fantastic. Uh, can't take anything away from him, but if you're Virginia Tech, you just got to be kicking yourself that this is how you're sending Bud out by uh, giving up a pass to a guy who can't pass. Well, we talked about this kind of after the game. We did a video, and it very similar to the Notre Dame game where you just couldn't just – you know, you had two fourth down opportunities, couldn't get off the field on that last drive. Um, but what was different kind of in recent weeks, but it's, it's a little similar to Virginia where Fuente wasn't as aggressive, I thought, and which surprised me, especially when, you know, you're not playing in the national championship. You got nothing to lose. Uh, I thought you could have put this game away a couple of times if you, you know, convert – um, you know, you went for a fourth down or you went for a field goal inside the 10 yard line at a fourth and two. I think it was at a, the six or the nine or something like that. Um, decided to kick a field goal. Um, it was just a little conservative. And I just thought, you know, it, against Wake, he made kind of the opposite calls and it kind of paid off. Um, and I know Kentucky's defensive front is, is pretty stout, but all the more reason to try to put them away and not have to make a play at the end of the game. And, you know, they had, they tried to, but through an interception and or fumble, got sacked and fumbled and allowed a meaningless touchdown. But um, I was kind of surprised that they didn't weren't, you know, didn't take chances when you just kind of wanted to win. I, I think it wasn't the end all be all to win, but I mean, I think it would have given you some momentum to kind of erase, especially that Virginia loss. Yeah. I think they, when they kicked the, the field goal that, in, that you're talking about to make it a six point game, everybody had the same thought. Well, <laughs> you know, they're either they're either going to win by six or they're going to get Because then you'd have to make a boat and throw to get two scores within right. less than ten minutes or right. nine minutes. And uh, you didn't put as much pressure as you needed to on them. Right. And to Kentucky's credit, they drained almost all of the clock. I mean, they did – Tech did get another possession after that field goal. It was like with 12-something left uh, when they got that field goal to go up six. So, but then they, you know, on the last drive, they ate up about eight minutes or so and uh, really left Virginia Tech with nothing to work with there uh, on their own offense. So, yeah, disappointing. How do we frame this? I mean, I, I went into this game, and I think I might have been in the minority on this, at least among beat writers. Uh, I heard you guys talking about how, you know, you, this juiceless bowl, who cares? You know, next year's next year, this year's this year. This just puts a cap on this year. That's it. I wrote, I thought it was a legitimate springboard because of the number of people that you have on that team that will be on next year's team, presumably. And, 
you know, you win that game, you can you can say, look, we won eight out, uh, what would be, be seven out of nine, or se- you know, seven out of nine with one of the losses being, you know, both of the losses being games you could have won. One of them being at Notre Dame by one point with the third string quarterback. I mean, I think you could say seven out of nine victories uh, against the teeth of your schedule. That's great. Now it's you know you you finished with two you know back to back losses, uh, one against your arch rival. Uh, I think it puts a damper on on um, the off season. I, well, I think the one caveat is that this Kentucky game was not a blueprint for like you know you're not going to face another Lynn Bowden probably next year. You're not going to face an offense like this next year where it was sort of you know by design, you know just hand the ball to the quarterback and see what he can do um this was kind of a unique game um and so there's that where it's like well what what did you learn about this team i don't know i mean they the, you know the, another kind of a close loss similar to the notre dame game you'd like to see him close out those games especially if they got a little more experience um but hen and hooker wasn't in the first one either so um, this was his first kind of chance kind of coming from behind uh, but not much time left in that sort of last minute. Um, so I don't know how much you could take from it. Um, you know, you're bringing back tw- now because Deshaun McLeese uh, declared for the NFL uh, earlier this week. So you're bringing back 20 to 22 starters. Um, I just think this team has enough experience where you just kind of look past it. I don't think you're going to remember much about it in two months when spring starts up. Um, yeah, I just I, I don't get a feeling that this will linger. I think the Virginia loss was the more meaningful loss. You just can't erase it as quickly until you get back on the field next year. Right, and this was an opportunity to sort of bury that a little bit at least and, 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 and think less about it. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, they have no choice but to bury it now. I mean, it's, it's over with. Uh, you lost. And, and, and it wasn't won. like you know it would, they were leading for most of the game. The offense played pretty well. So, I mean, it wasn't like an all – you know, going to the offseason with a blowout or, you know, questions hanging like – can we do anything? You know, the defense uh, forced some turnovers, did some things, you know, just couldn't get off the field in the last five minutes or whatever it was. Um, but it wasn't like a total disaster. Or, you know, like a game like last year where it was Georgia Tech or Pittsburgh, we are just like, oh, my gosh, what direction are we headed? Right. You know, this you lost. I mean, one call goes your way one way or the other. You can easily this would have been a win. So, sure. um, yeah, I don't think it's like a, a disaster. Um, and Fuente seemed kind of even keel after the game. Yeah, I guess fans didn't like – some fans didn't like his response. I thought it was funny. No, I'm sorry for your loss. The reporter kind of started out his question, I'm sorry for your loss, coach, and Fuente stopped. And he's like, well, nobody – you don't have to be – I'm not it's okay. I'm not crying. It's right. okay. Like, And, and that's, a good, that's a healthy outlook. But it's true, too. You know, it's like this is a bowl game. This isn't for the co- – you know, it wasn't uh, – you know, it just uh, – I perspective and that's probably what he had with the team like we're gonna put this past us and, and kind of go forward well, and I, it was just the phrasing of it if he right. said if he'd have just said condolences you know or, or even condolences, condolences is something, is something word, you yeah. say yeah, I mean, it's just just ask your question <laughs> next time right just ask your question yeah small talk <laughs> with coaches is never it's always weird uh just just go into your question yeah you know, they don't need your apologies <laughs> sadness uh I don't think it brightened his day to know that a reporter somewhere felt bad for him. Right. Well, speaking of coaches, back to Bud briefly. Uh, you know, he's gotten plenty of tributes. You know, we had the special section. He had Bud Foster Day. Um, you know, he had his final home game. He had his he had the final game against Virginia, final regular season game. So, you know, it's not uh, the shame of all shames that uh, we weren't able to really reflect too much on on Bud after this one because he spent the entire time answering questions about why they didn't stop uh, Lynn Bowden. But, uh, you know, it was – I think there was a poignant photo that he posted on social media of him packing up, 
Shutting and he also off, posted off. the uh, and Charlie. Him and Charlie yeah. were. I think was that at Sharky? I, I don't remember where it was. I, I, I couldn't. I thought somebody said it was PK. It maybe? looked like maybe PKs, but I just couldn't. I couldn't tell completely. So but those of you who didn't see it, yeah, he gave the lunch pail as promised to Charlie, and he gave the other one to who? who uh, before former Daryl Tap was the only Tapp. other one, yeah, that had a lunch pail before. Okay. That, he, this was the second one he's ever given away. Yeah. So um, that transaction happened. That was cool to see. But, yeah, I mean, Bud, uh, it's sort of like this game and what you were saying about this game. People will remember Bud for a lot more than Kentucky. My favorite part, but the, you know, we'll get, I haven't been here, obviously, nearly as long. You were telling your 20th anniversary is coming up here for a long time. So you have a few more Bud stories than I do. It's only my second season. But the the funny part of the press conference after the game was, uh, you know, (laughs) I asked a question about the DBs, and he's like, well, we'll have to look at the film and it's like well will you really look at the film <laughs> right. who's going to be looking at that film i, I don't think you're going to be looking at that film um um uh, but it's you know, from a bass boat right, right it's like you know he's still got that mentality uh where you know still i don't think it hit him yet uh but um yeah you know weird you know you, they had talked about it all season long and kept trying to ask and even in kind of days leading up you know they didn't he gave a kind of an emotional kind of i guess Let's focus a couple of days before the bowl game, but uh, speech, but nothing kind of crazy, no sort of uh, fun leading up to it story from any of the coaching staff or players. Uh, he And that's how he wanted it. He wanted it business as usual right. until the end. Because um, like he said, he had, you know, coaching to do. But uh, maybe you could share a, a story or two here of your favorite Bud stories. Um, you know, you personally – um, any fun interactions or anything that you could remember that didn't make our amazing special section? Yeah, no, month? Charlie was more of the funny guy. Uh, Bud, you know, I, I think when I think of Bud, I will I will remember walking uh, after they won at the Horseshoe, you know, five, six years ago, whenever that was, uh, beat Ohio State as like a 14-point dog. And just one player and coach, I was I was dispatched to talk to Ohio State about this, and I decided I would go and, and talk to their players and coaches. And I mean, from their offensive coordinator was I believe Tom Herman, who's now the coach at Texas. Um, everyone would just said that Bud Foster was a step ahead of us. You know, he just had everything figured out before he knew what we were doing before we did. And I just. You know, of course, you knew he was a great coordinator before that moment, but it just really hit home that night. I remember him walking out, you know, because there's a, a traveling bunch of Hokies that go to every uh, road game family members and, you know, boosters and things. And he walked out of that garage, you know, at one in the morning or whatever. And it's just this, you know, the, the greeting this king, you know, walking out of the locker room, you know, bathed in light. And uh, just I, I'll, I'll always remember that. Uh, you know, f- the story that I did in the in the special section about fans and their connection to them, you know, people that have just – you just randomly go up to people and they say, yeah, I've met him. I met him at Sharky's or I met him uh, at this and this event. You know, it has nothing to do with football. And um, just hit, I think people felt like he was one of them, uh, felt like, you know, just uh, – they use the term family all the time in Blacksburg. Every program uses the term family. I think with Bud, he did feel like family to people, and that's why it's uh, hard for people to say goodbye. Yeah, and it, the the unique circumstance of it, one school basically, you know, for the bulk yeah. of his tenure, um, success over the bulk of his tenure, um, you know, it's just rare that you're going to see that, and I think fans recognize that 
you know, uh, between him and, and Frank Beamer, you're not going to have that kind of uh, longevity uh, anymore. I mean, look, Fuente was fired six times this year by fans alone. Um, you know, last year it was even more. So not binding um, firings. Yeah. No, not binding. No, no, uh, not successful. But um, and your know, offensive coordinator. You know, it's like they right. want they they. You know, I think still fans are ready to buy Brad Cornelson a bus ticket. And so um, you're just not going to have that anymore. You're not going to have those kind of successful tandems. And, you know, most coaches, too, um, want a new challenge or new job or go to the NFL. And, and Bud never left. He had, he had num I mean, you know, you kind of talk about close calls. And I've heard a number of different stories, whether it was, you know, the Pittsburgh head coaching job, Clemson, uh, defensive coordinator jobs with Steve Spurrier. He just sort of declined them all. I think if Pittsburgh reasons. had offered him the head coaching job, I think he would have taken it. I don't think he was offered that job. Uh, he always – his thing was he never wanted a coach killer job. That's what he yeah. called him. And those were, you know – and those are the jobs you have to take when you're a coordinator and you're, you know, you, you're unproven as a head coach. You got to take that Louisiana Lafayette job like uh, Ricky Bussell did, you know, back in the day. And he didn't want to do that. He wanted something like a Pittsburgh. He wanted something that was a little bit uh, more prestigious than – uh, sort of those mid-major types. I think that's the one regret um, that that I have, I guess, in, in, in following his career is that I never got to see him do that. I never got to see him try his hand at – because I know he wanted one. He, wanted, he, was, he, he would be very clear at the end of seasons. He'd say, look, I'm not out there campaigning for it, but if the right opportunity came along, everybody wants to be a head coach. And uh, apparently the right opportunity never came along. The best offers he really got were like to be defensive coordinator at Florida. You know, th these are good jobs, but, you know, in his mind, they were sort of lateral moves, even if the money's bigger somewhere else because of how much of a deep his affection was for Blacksburg. But it might have been the best decision he could have made. Right. You know, uh, you, you never know what happens when you when you make that step. A lot of coaches have sort of fallen off the map. And, exactly. um, you know, he, he, he never – Never did and had success throughout. Uh, you know, I think there will always be his what ifs, and uh, I think he is at peace with it. You know, yeah. I don't think he would have retired if he wasn't. But um, yeah, an interesting kind of just what if. I think when you look back at the just different chances he could have taken, but never did. Well, it's um, it's not apples to apples, but look at what Tom Brady's dealing with right now. You know, he could wind up somewhere else. Right. Uh, I don't think anybody really wants to see that, but. Uh, you know, part of you and part of what drives him is that idea that I can still do this, even if people don't believe I can. And uh, that's I think that's be, would be the one thing if you're Bud Foster that would have been like, well, I know I can coach. I could be a head coach. Maybe you could you saw, you know, in, in your time here, um, which has been what, three years now, two, that's two seasons, two yeah, seasons, yeah. Um, Bud has taken on a much more um, active role uh, dealing with the media. He's been this basically the co-head coach almost. Right. You know, he he always talks after games, win, lose, or draw. And so, you know, we see a lot of Bud, and we can see. I mean, when you talk to him, you can tell. I mean, I think he has that gravitas that you you need as a head coach. That wasn't always the case with Beamer. He wouldn't always talk with the. Uh, uh, I, I you know I think near the end of Beamer's tenure, he did. Uh, maybe I don't know. Did his role? Did his Job title change at some point where he became associate head coach. I don't know. I, I don't know, but uh, it just seemed like there there came a time where Bud was. 
I think it started when Fuente got here. It was that like, was really the kind know, of the change. Fuente yeah. will just talk about the the whole the you know and and Bud will handle the defensive stuff. Yeah. But um, and I always appreciated that we got to talk to Bud because Bud was always I thought very good. And he had some of those big picture ideas too, you know. And he had well, the I don't think fans realize how, um, you know, in relation to Fuente, that not all coaches are comfortable with the defensive coordinator talking or kind of having that sort of uh, um, get that credit for the defense too. You know, right. uh, Gus Melzon and, and uh, Auburn didn't let the defense. You know, sometimes would let him talk during the week, every week, and then eventually now has stopped. You know, doesn't let it just gets uncomfortable when he kind of gets credit or just you know doesn't feel comfortable having him kind of be in the face of the defense or face of the team where um you know it's impressive that Fuente always kind of ceded control of that and was comfortable in kind of his own skin to say the defense is buds really I mean you know well he talks about it and he's comfortable kind of assessing what he can assess but it's buds defense yeah Al Groh was the same way at Virginia you know he had that one voice policy that he got from Parcells which was uh, you could talk to him in the spring and then you're not talking to them at all if you have a question you come to me and ask me and I will speak for all of us and uh, you know uh, Beamer never was like that Beamer was always you talk to whoever you want whenever you want I don't care um, you know get the information you want from whoever uh, can provide it but um, yeah you're right there what there is uh, some humility to that 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 Fuente showed by saying because we know how popular Bud is and when things are you know when things are a little rough uh, f- for the, for the head coach to um, especially you know like after those back to back shutouts I mean you know that's all Bud you know everyone's praising Bud but you know that's a that's a holistic thing that happens right, you right. know everybody contributes to that including the offense um, holding the ball longer and all those things that we've talked about on this podcast so I don't know I yeah. Just congratulations to Bud on a great career. Well, I guess this will probably be the last time we talk about Bud in, in depth. So um, I wonder if he gets like a standing invite because he said he's not getting a he doesn't get a, a box like Frank Beamer does like this sweet. I talked to to one of the equipment staff or uh, one of the staffers that d- does the field. He's like, well, I'm going to get him a, a folding chair for behind the end zone <laughs> to <Wow>. sit. <laughs> but um, I wonder get if he'll get. Ale, I wonder yeah. if he'll have a standing uh, invitation to Frank Beamer's so he could sit next to him and they could watch the games. You would and think so. You would think, you but would think oh, so. Um, I, bummer that Frank. Speaking of which, Frank was not able to come to that game because I guess Oklahoma played. His son was in a game like a couple. Do, games oh, before. and he uh, he has uh, obligations too. I think this was his last year on the playoff committee, so he was in. Um, the, he was at the uh, the semifinals too before that. Both of them, I think, wasn't he? Or yeah, Oklahoma? well, his yeah, son's yeah, so, on yeah, the yeah. Oklahoma staff too. Right, yeah. So I mean, that was yeah. But uh, you would have thought, you know, in a perfect world, Frank would get to be there with his buddy and and see him off. But uh, that wasn't able to be happen able to happen. Um, what are you going to remember about this season, Mike? That's a tough question. I, you know, you, you, <laughs> you thought that Duke loss would be the most memorable, but now it's sort of like all, all – uh, I think it's a credit to the team that that's faded to the background, that they were able to kind of erase that. Um, obviously, the Virginia loss looms large just because it will reset kind of the rivalry, and I think next year we'll talk about that a lot when the Commonwealth Cup rolls around just because it's going to be a new batch of stories instead of will the streak continue. It will be uh, framed much differently. Um, I I still think the quarterback question is the one that will be interesting to follow since I think, you know, you lose Josh Jackson, Ryan Willis is, wins the job, fails spectacularly, I think, would be fair. You know, I'm not knocking the kid, but just did not do well and was kind of the 
the guy really for for seven months you know everybody's kind of, the coaching staff said you know he was played well and kind of held the other guys off you know Quincy and Hendon who both ended up having to play and played well in spots and, and Hendon obviously won his first six starts um, but now you kind of reset and you have another kind of quarterback you know Quincy Hendon and now Braxton Burmeister do how does that evaluated we didn't really get a firm answer you know he said he's gonna you know obviously they made a mistake and didn't do do it correctly but we still don't know like what did ryan show over hendon or what did hendon not show and you know we'll see this talks a little bit about hendon's kind of maybe being a little nervous but um that's really it and so now when you kind of have another quarterback thing does hendon just automatically are they nervous about handing it to hendon because ryan had it basically throughout the offseason and, and didn't um so i just think that just the quarterback situation will be the most meaningful thing kind of going forward since you know it'll affect now this season too what what do you do is, is Hendon the guy do you open it back up what is Quincy what is he, where does he fit in um I just think that whole thing ended up being very interesting since Hendon stepped in and won six straight um and, and played well really I think throughout uh really fit the offense I think that they really need a mobile quarterback in there for Fuente's kind of philosophy and Brad Cornelson's system to kind of work um, but that's probably what I'll remember kind of most, and I think it's the looms large heading into next season. I think if I if I want to remember this season accurately for myself, for my own reference point, I will think of the Notre Dame game as the game that encapsulated the season. Um, it wasn't Duke where they got crushed. It wasn't uh, Virginia where they lost their uh, their stranglehold on the Commonwealth Cup. It wasn't the back-to-back shutouts uh, where they were awesome. Uh, this team was really none of those things. It was the Notre Dame game where they were very, very close to something very, very good, and they didn't get it. Uh, they were just that short. They fell up. I think they fell short of all the good things that they really could could grab onto. Um, the coastal title was there for the taking. They didn't get it. Um, you know, the, the bowl victory was there for the taking. They didn't get it. Uh, so I think coming up just short while also putting in a valiant effort because I think that momentum, as I've said before, was real in that second half of the season prior to the Virginia game. Uh, those That was a very nice stretch of Virginia Tech football, but that's that's one stretch of football. That's a sample size that does not encapsulate the whole. So I think what does is that Notre Dame loss um, where – you know they had there, there was much more to get there and they didn't get it but you still say to yourself uh, good job good effort kind of thing <laughs> good job good job um and the other thing you know that is i that'll stick with me is uh next year when we cover a bunch of terrible games or something how many good games or close games we we had this year i mean miami uh, that North Carolina six overtime game, the Notre Dame game you just mentioned, uh, Virginia, that game was exciting. And then the Belk Bowl, um, I mean, really good football games yeah, uh, yeah and really good finishes, uh, good stories um, uh, and fun um, to cover. Uh, and, and I, you know, after 2018 was sort of a, a just dreadful yeah. season, uh, you know, in the sense where you didn't have it was kind of, you know, here or there, you know, the. Bad losses, a couple of wins, you know, blowout win against Marshall. Uh, Virginia, probably the overtime game against Virginia was the best one. But mm-hmm. other than that, not much, you know, no exciting football. This season we got a pretty good stretch there, especially, you know, that that Miami, North Carolina, Nor- Notre Dame, three out of four game stretch was, was pretty pretty fun and pretty impressive to, to have all those games 
literally the last time to touch the ball was the deciding kind of thing. Right. And yeah, and I think that kind of the Miami win balances out the Duke law, you know, like yeah, sort yeah. Of, there's a balance there that I think makes makes sense and sort of added some equilibrium to a season that, you know, when you look at what did they finish eight and five, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably about right around the, the area most people thought uh, Virginia Tech would finish the season. So, um, yeah, and not far off. You know, I picked them to win the Coastal. They were a win away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think fans would have been fine with nine. and f- I mean, they could have easily had ten wins. I think they would have been fine with nine wins if one of them was Virginia. And they still didn't win the Coastal. I think fans would have been okay if some other team won the Coastal. Or even if Virginia won the Coastal, but they lost that head-to-head matchup. Yeah. And just and watching wins. And just watching the pageantry of the Orange Bowl, you know, you, you look at that Orange Bowl and you say it's juiceless, you know, Florida versus Virginia. But then you watch the game, you know, you're watching the pageantry of it all and you're like, oh, yeah, you know. The yeah, Orange but Bowl's- if they would have beat Virginia and then Virginia goes to the Orange Bowl and just gets slaughtered against Clemson, I don't think – I don't think – But see, I don't think you want your team to get just embarrassed on a, on a national stage. You You mean – if if the Hokies had beaten Virginia and gone play Clemson in the but I'm saying so, so I'm saying in another world where they like if the things had shaken out differently, Virginia Tech wouldn't have, fans would have been okay with beating Virginia and then Virginia going to the coastal and just getting slaughtered and saying like have fun like you're throwing oh, right, the right, right, I, 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 I don't think there's saying. any joy in sort of going to that game and seeing what happens with Clemson running it up you know where he's like well right can that team score eighty points yeah, maybe you know it's like I, you don't. Yeah, that right now the separation is so far right. that I don't think there's any joy. The joy is the bragging rights, right? And you know you hate to see Virginia Tech fans hate to see Virginia win anything, but at the same time I don't think Virginia Tech fans were like, man, we need to go to that Coastal Championship game or the ACC Championship game to get embarrassed and see where how far we're below every but, the Clemson. But that was my that was what I was trying to say, and I didn't express very well. You have to go through that. And, and get your butt kicked, but then you get the the Orange Bowl reward. You know, had you beaten Virginia, I got you, I got you. and so then you're like, oh yeah, you know, like you still would have gotten a very nice reward. The reward would but not still, have been the I, ACC title. No, game. I get it, but it, but the, it's such a stark difference that it's hard, I think, and especially the difference between Virginia and Virginia Tech fans is Virginia Tech has had that success where I don't think they want to really feel that they're 50 points away from being equal to Clemson right now. That that's, that'd be like a hard reality to accept. And I think that's where everybody in the ACC is right now. Right. Um, and so I just, I can assess that there would be, you know, yeah, the orange bowl would have been nice, but it would be like, man, that, you know, how apoplectic would fans be if it was like 63 to 17 and that that's that's where you're at against clemson yeah i don't think people have been too too thrilled with it um housekeeping the d-line coach has been hired we're taping this on wednesday uh it happened today who's the who's the d-line coach buffalo bills uh defensive line coach bill uh tierlink um and he is the uh, he crossed paths with Justin Fuente at that infamous Illinois State staff uh, that he's hired six people from now. Um, he was a it's defensive been a hell coach. of a team, <laughs> great FCS team. So, uh, but he has eight years of NFL experience. Uh, worked with the defensive line with Indianapolis uh, uh, towards the end of uh, Tony Dungy's era, and then um, worked with the Buffalo Bills the last three years. And Buffalo Bills um, were really good defense the last couple of years. Uh, last two years, he's been the sole defensive line coach for Leslie Frazier. Uh, they've been very good. Obviously, uh, I think an impressive hire in the sense where anytime you get a uh, coach with NFL background and experience, also had experience at Nevada, so he's not unfamiliar with the kind of uh, FBS level 
um, program. Um, so, uh, and then Tap now is officially the co-defensive line coach, not just a general defensive assistant, which everyone kind of expected. Um, now one last uh, hire to make is the defensive backs coach, um, maybe next week, uh, next two weeks. Um, but not a lot has been said. You know, uh, uh, Pearson Perlu uh, had that during the bowl game, but it doesn't sound like um, he's going to kind of take over the full-time job. But, I mean, he, he certainly, I think, was a candidate at some point. Uh, but we'll kind of see. Um, but, yeah, so the defensive staff is kind of filling out. I don't know if we talked. Was Tracy Clays announced in tap? Maybe. but um, So Tracy Clays will take over as linebackers coach now. Didn't coach during the bowl game at all. Asked Rashard Ashby if he's even talked to him, and he said no. So, obviously, they haven't got they, – they got started after the bowl game after I think the coaching staff got a couple of days off. So now the new kind of new era starts here. Okay. Do we want to talk any more about the offseason other than the spring? Spring game is uh, April, April 18th. 18th. Uh, yeah, and we don't know when the spring practice starts. Okay. Um, third weekend of April, I think a week later than it was last year. They've kind of timed it to the uh, run of remembrance because they want a lot of people on campus, want it to kind of be – um, you know, big deal. They have a baseball game, a three-game series against Notre Dame that weekend, um, and they're, they're finalizing some um, other events. So, yeah, hard to believe spring. We're already talking about spring football, but really it's just kind of on deck now. we got signing day here in a couple of weeks. I don't know if there will be anybody, one or two guys maybe, if they, if they get lucky, and then they'll kind of maybe wait and see what happens with transfer portal guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at. So start of the off season, but already looking ahead towards spring. All right. Well, let's get to our pick three. What you got? Uh, all right. So um, Christmas uh, happened, and um, I got uh, I've been my oldest is seven, a Transformer, um, Optimus Prime. This was his first sort of real Transformer, and uh, I loved Transformers as a kid. And we got him in just a second one with uh, his Christmas money. He wanted another one, Megatron the head of the decepticons i don't know you're looking oh, at sure. okay. yeah, transformers so um but uh, <laughs> they're you know they used to be a little more uh sturdy you know not not as they do more metal parts than they than they, they they now it's all plastic and you know you tell your your kid to to not force it and not to break it and then when he gives it to you to try to fix it and you can't do it and you want to just smash it in a million pieces um it's 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 a fun parenting moment i spent about 25 minutes trying to get megatron's legs in the right position to get him in a tank form last night and it was really frustrating and you know there's all those youtube videos out there there was no instructional video that i could find that this this because this joint would not go the way i thought it would go and i was trying not to crack his leg in half and i spent a good 25 minutes i finally figured it out that's the the moral of the story is that the effort paid off and to not not force it, like I said, but it was really hard not to tr not to follow my uh, advice where I wanted to just jam the thing. But I did get it. Uh, it was successful. And um, and then, you know, the, when you're when <laughs> a seven year old doesn't spend a lot of time with it in the one. So they he just keep switching it back and forth. So it's like constantly trying to do it and trying to remember it. I just can't do it. So it's right. like. Like the minute I had it done, he's like, it's already back. It's like, well, I just spent like a half hour on that. All my work is, is ruined. So, um, but yeah, fun with Transformers is my Man, number Transformers one. were such a big deal when I was a kid. I mean, yeah, they, now. They were as hot as anything. They, I mean, they, you know, they did have the movies. We haven't, they did the Bumblebee movie, which was a little more kid friendly. We didn't do the uh, other ones, which were not very good. But um, yeah, he likes it. Um, it was what funny is that in Bumblebee, this bad Transformer, Decepticon, uh, shoots a human and, and liquefies him. 
<laughs> not very that's not very kid friendly but he goes he is like i like the sound that it makes i like the pop that it makes and so ben because pop in our house is coke coca-cola because uh, we're midwest we for right, coke. Right. so he's like well he turned him into coke he turned him into pop he turned him into coke and i'm like yes he did that's what he did he turned him into <laughs> coke so it's just funny how kids minds work so all right, you're number one. Uh, well, it's been a long time on since I've whined about instant replay on this podcast, so I'll go ahead and do it. Uh, the NFL, man, I don't watch a lot of it in September and October because we work on Saturdays and Sundays, man, and that's the day to go hiking and enjoy the nice fall weather and all that stuff, go out with the kids and do that. But once the weather turns, man, I get into the NFL, man. I like I like betting on it. I like watching it. But that Minnesota game, how that ended, you know, whereas Randolph – I guess he pushed off a little bit. There was, you know, you, depending on who you ask, hand fighting or a push off for Minnesota. And my point is, you know, replay the, the, the specter of replay once again just ruins. Did the they replay? I didn't. Why well, we were? Uh, we were they they did the New York thing where they said we're, you know, we're, we're satisfied with it. We're New York. So it didn't get an official review. They just looked at it. And yeah, and it, they yeah. said oh, it's, we're not going to change it. But for that three minutes you know where joe buck has to stop and say well hold everything you know like i just we saw it in women's basketball a couple years ago where a girl or a a woman hits a a a last second shot from deep to win it and it clearly beat the shot clock but they have to stop their celebration because they got to make sure it went it's just i just wish and i'm a big soccer guy and soccer i mean the var video assisted replay is just put its muddy claws all over soccer and it's it's ruining that sport too so um just there's nothing i can do about it but if you want my solution is get rid of all of it trash it completely trash it all right so my second one um <laughs> on netflix so you were game of thrones guy right oh yeah so ga- netflix is looking for its game of thrones it's, it just started uh it just uh, dropped the witcher have you heard of this show this, this no. witcher the witcher you got my attention it's uh it based on these books um that i guess are very famous in, in europe and and i don't know it was germany i don't know where, which which country that it originated in uh made into a very successful video game series um it stars henry cavell who was superman uh, it was in Mission Impossible, the last one, and it's a sort of fantasy uh, thing. He he's a Witcher, which is sort of like human. Uh, it's got a little magic in there, um, and uh, <laughs> it's I, I expected not to like it. I was never a Game of Thrones person, and I, it's not very good. I mean, it's 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 weird, and it's got a weird sensibility. But the commitment to it from henry cavell i guess he was a fan of the books and the video games so he campaigned to get the part and so he's like dedicated he's got this long white hair uh it's and it could be just really hokey but his commitment to it and selling it and making it seem like you know this is this is this is this is live or die right um has made it work um probably more than it should and i'm i'm gonna it's eight episodes i'm on episode five um gets the, the midway point um, things kind of come together with some of the other storylines and it's not terrible but it's so out there it's hard to explain some of the stuff and really gory and bloody tons of nudity i think there was three orgy scenes so far in the series in Is five episodes um and, and like nudity for no reason really just like there's just walking in rooms and there's not naked people um i think you should watch that on your next flight <laughs> that's right i should um but though there's a fight scene there's an extended fight scene in the first episode where he just like cutting through these these faceless knights and it's just like every 
gory shots you could imagine um is in that and that's only like the first episode so um yeah if you probably like game of thrones you'd probably like it uh it's not nothing that's going to make you think i mean it'll make you think like what is going on i have no idea but um it all comes together i guess midway through the season but yeah very uh it's very strange show but i I think i would strangely recommend it to to get it get it i'm still off the netflix bandwagon uh i need to get back on because uh, but I need to see those Black Mirror episodes. I'm a big fan of that show. Mm. Um, I, I've realized this is my second one. I realized that I'm, I, and I don't know how many people out there are out there like like me. You know, when we were talking the other week, about, like like you, like you. No, we were talking about gambling movies, and oh, the, oh, okay. I, I hadn't seen so many of them. I got you know, you. and we, we were just going through the list, and I'm like, nah, I haven't seen it. What happens with me is like when I'm watching something, all of a sudden I'll be like such and such show is better like or i could be like i was watching the wire and i was thinking to myself i could be watching game of thrones right now again for the second time so i had what i ended up doing is going back and watching the same stuff over and over right which leads me to my second one it's always sunny in philadelphia (laughs) that show i mean it's so it's so cheap too you can get it you get entire seasons on amazon prime you can buy them for 6.99 i mean you know that's a that's a six pack of steel that's a steal but the episode, <laughs> there's so many good ones, you know, Nightman Cometh and all those, but <laughs> Frank's Little Beauties, man, that one where he has the, <laughs> the I mean, that talk about not safe for kids, but that was <laughs> so funny. And, and I was reminded, I think it's in season eight, I was just reminded of how brilliant uh, Danny DeVito is. I mean, just how how brilliant all those, all those actors in that show are, really. Uh, but... But DeVito in particular is just, I've never seen a guy who, you know, I didn't think anything of. I mean, I saw Twins, you know, when I was probably 14 or right. something where he's with uh, Schwarzenegger. And I guess it was funny, but I never saw Taxi, you know, I was too sure. too young for that. Um, but to see him just kind of storm this stage and become as funny as he's, he is on that show, um, thank thank goodness for that show. It's just so, so, so much fun to watch. Um Third one, uh, I'm gonna. I think tomorrow I, I'm gonna try to see it. That uh, 1917 movie that just oh, won the Golden Globe. Yeah, I want to see that too. Uh, co- gonna be wide release. I'm, I'm interested into it because the whole the whole gimmick is it's supposed to be like one long shot. Uh, and and very excited to see kind of how they pulled that off. What that looks like. I think I think it looks really interesting. Um, and uh, really excited to kind of see that uh, tomorrow. And you, s- I wanted to ask you about the. You I saw, saw the on, gambling movie. I saw Uncut Gems. Yeah. Sandler. Uh, yeah. You love it. I didn't love it. I what it didn't have anything to do with the uh, his performance. He was very good, and I think as a gambling movie, you would have liked sort of the, you know, you probably don't want to get to where he's at in that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, very not in a good place. Um, <laughs> but Trump I think you would have liked. Step. And he was doing silly, like his his main. He would do these parlays, and I didn't know. I mean, I don't know if you could do these at casinos where the, his parlay. Both he made like three parlays or three or two. Um, where the one of the the bets was the the opening tip on the game who who corralled the opening tip off. Yeah, I don't see that line posted anywhere. But I don't think that's a, is that maybe a thing? NBA finals or, or just something. like a book because he would do it with a bookie. But yeah, I would do do bookies. What are, what are, I mean? How is that not just fifty fifty right with the tip? Or I mean, I guess what? Yeah, they, it's uh, like the coin flip in, in yeah, Super Bowl. So, you can bet that. Um, but that was yeah. I I don't think you'd be doing that though. So you haven't gotten to that point yet. Oh, I don't 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 sell me short, man. I, Have you I'm done coin flip? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do the coin flip every year. We what we do is we take do, we make dollar bets on the super. I I bring the family together and we draft bets. 
uh, all all $1 a piece. And but you're not putting like a, a hundred bucks on the coin flip. No, no. Like the total amount for the family would I be gotcha. like $70. And I then maybe you. I'll throw a hundred on, on one side or the other for the game itself. Sure, sure. But uh, all right. My third one, nacho cheese. Um, I <laughs> ordered a drum, a giant drum of nacho cheese off Amazon Prime. Uh <laughs> That sounds not good. A, a giant, basically paint can, bigger than a paint can. This sounds like a, like like advice, like for the, for kids out here. Don't do this. Don't follow my. I, I'm recommending it because my brother, my brother used to work at Taco Johns. We had a Taco Johns in our neighborhood in in uh, Maryland, and they had the best nachos in the world. And what the, the cheese they used was called Cave Bueno. Okay. Um, they used to sell it at Costco and some places, but now the only place you can get it is Amazon Prime. And it's it's costly. It's twenty two bucks for a, a paint can sized drum, which my brother says is two servings. <laughs> the the can says it's forty eight servings, but um, it's delicious. I highly recommend it. With with Super Bowl coming up, and you want to impress your friends at your Super Bowl party, you how, want nachos. How does that hold? Like it's just you t- take a hammer and ham it down the paint can and put it back. Uh, in the no, it has a, it has a lid. Uh, okay. a plastic lid you can put back on and throw it in the fridge. Now, if you were going to keep it, if you weren't a, a, a gluttonous nacho consumer like me and my family, so is it just you would ma- freeze so the, some the of can it. is moved, is mailed just in room temperature? Like it's just like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's indestructible stuff. I mean, okay. you know, if we, uh, th- this war takes off and we have to <laughs> bunker down, we'll have this cheese. So um, would you order it in the summer where it could be sitting outside for a long time in, in the heat? I think it would survive that, yes. You think so? I think it would survive. But then it's Cape Bueno. There's multiple kinds of Cape Bueno. Make sure you get the, uh, the Ortega version. Uh, there's a Nestle version, or there's a there's another version. Chef Right, don't get Chef Mate. Chef Mate, don't get that. Uh, read the reviews. You'll see. Uh, and there's even one one review that says, hey, if you like Taco John's nacho cheese, this is what they use. And that's all I needed to see. I so was there's like, yes, one that's guy, it. One guy, that, that's your friend. You, and you, you uh, message him back. And yeah. like, can we, can we, you know where we you text can, back? Can we you hang know, out? No, no. What I did for him is you know where you can click where this, oh, you like this review was helpful. Was yeah, helpful. <laughs> this was very, very helpful. If I could upvote it 17 times, I would. But I just did it once. And so. Uh, now so he has the one. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go. To, we'll do some predictions. Um, what's your prediction for the uh, national title game? I like Clemson. Clemson, really? Yeah. Give me the points. What's the what's the give spread? me the points and give me straight up. I think it's seven, something in that neighborhood. It's about a touchdown. Um, I think but I'll, I'll take them straight up. I think LSU is gonna. I took them straight roll. up last year against Alabama. That was one of the most enjoyable bets I've ever watched. Cash. It was just the easiest bet in the world. I think LSU is going to roll. They they had the hardest schedule in the league, in the in the uh, in football quarter. That quarterback's on fire right now. He's so on I think fire. It's be, You're right. Be easy. All right, your Super Bowl pick, sir. Super Bowl pick. I, I'm a Maryland native, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Ravens. I mean, they're they're the odds-on favorite. Uh, I think I'll go with. To face them, I'll go with San Fran. That's pretty chalky. That's a pretty chalky combo right there. But um, sort of rematch of that Super Bowl when the lights went out. Which, speaking of which, you know, I said we'd make those $1 bets. Yeah. There was a guy. You had a bet that the lights would go out? No, there was a guy in that game, a guy for the Ravens, um, who was like 80 to 1 to be the MVP of the Super Bowl. I can't. I wish I could remember his name. He was a receiver. But he caught like a. 75-yard touchdown pass. He ran back a, tu- a, a, a kickoff for a touchdown, 
And then he he had another catch that was like 80 yards to set him up for an easy touchdown, like at the two, where he like dodged all these tackles. I mean, he was the clear MVP, right? And the, the Ravens had like a 25 point lead, right? And then the lights went out, right? And you remember what happened after that? Yeah, yeah. San Fran came back, and then uh, Flacco led a winning drive, so they just did the lazy thing and gave it to Flacco. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that cost us eighty dollars, and my son would have been hooked on gambling for the rest of his life. So I guess maybe that's the benefit then that we got out of it. <laughs> right. I'm going to go – I think Baltimore too. I think that they're kind of just rolling offensively, rebuilt that whole system around Lamar. Um, he's been kind of fun to watch. The NFC side, man, I ugh, I can't root for Green Bay, Bears fan. Um, can't root for Minnesota. San Francisco, I don't I – don't, maybe Seattle. Maybe they, they run the table. Like, like you think Pittsburgh Seattle gets, get them this week? Huh? At six – at the sixth seed, right? Because they're the sixth seed. I think I'll be betting all the underdogs anyway, other than the whoever's playing the Ravens. I'm going to root for the Ravens, but yeah. um, I think I'll, I'll probably bet Seattle against San Fran. They're playing at San Fran, right? Or are they playing? They yeah. got Green Bay. Oh, uh, would it be? Oh, for the if they both won, it would be San Francisco. But uh, Seattle's yeah. at uh, Green Bay this week, and then Minnesota's at San Francisco. This yeah, week. I think the public's going to be all over. Seattle there, right, in, yeah. this, in this matchup this weekend. But I think I'll probably be right there with them. It was a good weekend for me. I mean, Minnesota winning outright, that was good. Uh, Tennessee winning outright over the Patriots, that was good for me. Um, so, uh, rubber band banks, man. This is rubber band banks season. <laughs> All right. I think we're good. We'll, we'll reconvene in a couple weeks, maybe after signing day. And we'll really do it this time. Yeah. We promise. We promise. No, we, got, we both got to come in here. Every once in a while, anyway, yeah, file for sure. expense reports and talk to hockey players and other things. So, I don't, ha- I don't have to talk to hockey players. No, you don't. What are you gonna do? The rest is I cover. I do do some help out with the Radford basketball. Okay, and I mean football's year round, man. No, oh, I know. Sign day, it, a couple it's weeks. Spring. appetite yeah, for it. It's, yeah, it's good. So. Okay. Well, you can take some time off too, man. You've been a hardworking man day. for months. So, thank you. Uh, enjoy some time. You know, I, I took a little time in the fall, which you weren't able to do at all. So. Um, I guess maybe there was a couple bye weeks, but still, it's still hard because there's always news pumping out right. of, out of Blacksburg. Okay, well we'll get we will get back together hopefully soon. Happy New Year to everyone out there, and we'll talk again soon. For Mike Nizelik, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next time.